Chapter 18 of From Bangkok to Bombay, Siam, French Indochina, Burma, Hindustan, by Frank G. Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The Ashes of Buddha. This whole trip has been full of reminders of Buddha and the teachings he gave to the world six centuries before Christ was born. I found Siam and Burma dotted from one end to the other with pagodas set up in his honor and alive with thousands of yellow-robed monks going about with their begging bowls. But although these countries and Ceylon are the strongholds of Buddha's faith today, India was the land of his birth and his mission. Siddhartha Gautama, afterward called Buddha, or the Enlightened, was the son of the ruler of Sakya, clan who lived in southern Nepal on the slopes of the Himalayas, and his boyhood was spent amid the most beautiful scenery and in the shadows of the highest mountains on earth. He belonged to the warrior caste, and during the earlier part of his life he enjoyed such luxury as only India knows. He was given every pleasure and was married to a charming princess, who in due time presented him with a fine son. During this period he was protected from all knowledge of evil, sorrow, and pain, and it was not until he was almost twenty-nine years of age that he began to realize the troubles of mankind and decided upon his great renunciation he then gave up his palace cut off his long hair and putting on the clothes of a beggar went forth upon the highways six years he spent in wandering about and trying to attain his soul's salvation he practiced one religion after another he fasted and prayed he mortified the flesh in every way and went through struggle after struggle and temptation after temptation until at last as buddha gaya he received enlightenment. Buddha Gaya is to the Buddhists the most holy spot upon earth. It lies some distance south of the Ganges, 392 miles by rail from Calcutta, and is reached by way of Patna, where the great opium factories were. As the crow flies, it is about 125 miles from Benares, the fig tree under which Gautama sat and meditated and received the inspiration that made him Buddha or the enlightened one is known as the bow tree or tree of wisdom it was for centuries one of the two most venerated trees upon earth the other was in ceylon and grew from a branch of the original bow tree which was taken to that island about three hundred b c many devout buddhists believe that the sacred fig tree at buddhagaya today is the same as that beneath which the sage pondered so long ago near the bow tree the buddhists built a temple which is about thirteen hundred years old it is in the form of a pyramid of nine stories embellished with niches like the holy places of jerusalem which were for centuries in the hands of the moslem turks this buddhist temple is in the possession of the hindus and hindu priests levy toll on the hundred thousand buddhist pilgrims who come every year to buddhagaya a few buddhist monks live in a monastery nearby praying before a beautiful statue of buddha brought from japan for six years gautama sat cross-legged under the bow tree fasting and praying he was naked and covered with dirt and became a living skeleton as well as an object of contempt to the villages about he was tempted by both angels and devils legions of demons some of which had thousands of heads fought around him in vain. They threw at him poisoned arrows, which were changed into flowers as they fell. 
hordes of devils in the forms of the most beautiful women tried to attract the saint by their charms but every one of the two and thirty modes of making men fall were powerless against gautama who had conquered all desires after buddha had vanquished all these temptations and attained perfection he bathed himself in the river and partook of food prepared for him by a village maiden from the milk of a thousand cows his vitality returned and he straightway became whole his course from gaia was a triumphal procession in which the gods took part flowers rained upon him wells of cool water sprang up by the wayside and divine music was heard from the bow tree the sage went to benares and began his teaching in the ganges region the holy land of india he later travelled all over northern india and continued preaching until he died at eighty years of age upon his death his body was cremated and the ashes were divided into eight parts and buried in as many different places during one of my visits to india one portion of the ashes of buddha were found at peshawar close to the border of afghanistan there is no doubt of the authenticity of the relics they were discovered by scientists of the archaeological department of the british government and the viceroy of india had them brought to calcutta where he presented them to a delegation of buddhist priests from burma the ashes which were discovered through ancient writings describing their existence lay in a chamber far down under the ground below the heavy foundation of a structure long since crumbled to dust they were enclosed in a bronze casket inside was a crystal box containing a little heap of grayish-white powder and four charred human bones suppose the christian world today should get news of the discovery of some of the bones and ashes of st peter or st paul what a sensation it would create suppose further that we found relics of the saviour which were real beyond the shadow of a doubt all christendom would be excited to millions of people in the far east buddha means as much as christ and his apostles do to us so you can imagine the stir made by the find at peshawar the impressive ceremony of the presentation was held in the throne room of government house the floor of which was covered with rich golden carpets in making his speech to the burmese priests the viceroy said the government of india has decided that the relics should remain within the confines of the indian empire and that burma as a buddhist province and mandalay as its ancient capital should provide for their safe custody i am sure that the great honor done to burma will be thoroughly appreciated by its people and that the relics will be carefully preserved and cherished the viceroy concluded his remarks with these words i trust too that a suitable shrine may be erected at mandalay over these relics where in future years devout pilgrims may gather from all parts of the world to do honor to the memory of the great founder of their religion you recall that at mandalay such a pagoda is now building a feature of the occasion was an address by the director of the archaeological department of the government of india describing how the relics were found the first information concerning them came from records left by chinese pilgrims who were in india about fourteen or fifteen hundred years ago one of these men a buddhist monk spent seven years in traveling through the country collecting buddhist writings and visiting shrines he tramped across the himalaya mountains stopping in the little province where buddha was born he walked to buddha gaya and then went to pray 
at the various places where the relics of buddha were kept in the story of his pilgrimages he described a great pagoda near peshawar not far from where the emperor kanishka had his palace the structure he said was about fifteen hundred feet in circumference and had thirteen stories the record of the pilgrim state that the relics of the buddha lay under the dome the writings of the chinese pilgrims were translated by monsieur fouché the great french archaeologist through them he located the site of the ancient pagoda as being under one of two mounds lying about a half mile east of peshawar finding himself unable to finance the excavations required to verify his theory monsieur fouché presented his evidence to dr spooner of the archaeological department of the indian government and the latter took up the work beneath the mounds were found the remains of the great dome the heavy foundation uncovered shows that the structure it supported was larger than any other known buddhist pagoda it was square with massive walls of dressed stone and according to the records of haiyuan tsang the chinese pilgrim it was so lofty that four towers had to be built at the corners to hoist the coping stones into place after the dimensions of the pagoda had been outlined and the foundation had been unearthed the british archaeologists sank a shaft down through the stone floor to a depth of twenty feet and came to the relic chamber described by the pilgrims there in that little stone room buried from the sight of man for more than twenty four hundred years they found a cylindrical bronze casket seven inches high and five inches in diameter the slightly curved and overhanging lid represented a full-blown lotus upon which sat a small figure of buddha along the lid was a frieze of flying geese and lower down around the main body of the casket were figures of buddha beautifully carved representing him in the different stages of his life in the center of these was engraved a standing figure of king kanishka the great buddhist ruler and conqueror of the second century before christ and there were also inscriptions stating that the maker was the head engraver of the king inside the bronze box was a lump of rock crystal which had been hollowed out at one end for the reception of the ashes it was originally sealed with clay but the moisture had detached the seal which was lying at the side of the crystal coins bearing the head of kanishka were also found one would expect india to have more buddhists than any other land it was here that buddha was born here that he spent his whole life and from here his religion spread to other parts of the world yet today the buddhists of hindustan number only a little more than three hundred thousand there are a few along the northern frontier of bengal and upon the lower slopes of the himalayas in nepal where buddha was born he has still many followers and in kashmir near where his ashes were discovered there are perhaps forty thousand buddhists at first the religion of buddha had great sway in india it spread throughout hindustan and at the time of king kanishka was one of the predominant faiths after that it began to decline and it was almost wiped out in northern india after the mohammedans came in and took possession in southern india hinduism gradually regained its ascendancy there are something like one hundred and fifty million buddhists in the world buddhism is the leading religion of japan and it is estimated that two-thirds of the chinese follow it there are buddhists in siberia and in the dutch east indies and the faith is supposed to be alive in korea 
although the priests there are such low fellows that they are the despised and rejected of men as i have shown already buddhism is strong in burma and siam while in ceylon it survives in its purest form at kandy in ceylon is a pagoda rivaling the golden pagoda at rangoon in sanctity it is built over a tooth of the teacher brought to the island more than sixteen centuries ago by a princess of india who concealed it in her clothing since then that tooth has been fought over and captured and recaptured during several wars and it is now so holy that people come from all parts of the buddhist world to see it the relic which is shown only with the consent of the government looks more like the tooth of a crocodile than that of a man it is a piece of ivory about an inch in diameter and as long as my little finger and reposes on a lotus flower of pure gold under a cluster of seven bells of gold set with jewels in recent years there has been a revival of the buddhist religion due to the missionary efforts of its followers who have adopted methods for propagating their faith that are like those used by christians they have organized for example young men's associations corresponding to our young men's christian association and are publishing tracts and distributing all sorts of religious literature the faith has so much to commend it that i doubt not they will make many converts buddhism has its ten commandments which are taught to the children the first five are one thou shalt not take any life at all two thou shalt not steal three thou shalt not commit adultery four thou shalt not lie five thou shalt not drink intoxicating liquors the second five are obligatory chiefly for the monks in the monasteries and for all other good people on holy days they are one thou shalt not eat after midday two thou shalt not dance or play upon musical instruments three thou shalt not use cosmetics four thou shalt not stand or sleep on elevated places five thou shalt not accept gold or silver the theory of the religion is that everyone must work out his own salvation and that no one can help another except by example it is a mistake to speak of the worship of buddha he is not a god but a teacher his followers look upon him as having been a mortal man and they believe that any mortal may aspire to be what he was he is their idea of the perfect man and his life is the perfect life nevertheless they pray before his shrine and use his name in their prayers while the buddhist religion contains many beautiful doctrines it has nothing of the worship of god as we know him furthermore it seems to me to be a religion of despair rather than of hope one of its tenets is the idea that the greatest evil of mankind is birth without that they say we could not have old age misery and death and we would not have to go through the long line of transmigrations through which man rises in spiritual estate or descends to hell according to buddhism one's soul like that of john brown is always marching on the moment one dies he is born again his soul passing at once into the form of a man a dog or some other animal he may go down 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 through the different degrees of animal life until he falls into one of the hundred odd buddhist hells which are in the middle of the earth where the sufferers spend ten million years or more before they are reincarnated or he may go upward into better and better states 
until he at last reaches the heaven where the shortest life is ten thousand million years the buddhist legends tell how their great teacher lived as an elephant as a camel as a gnat a swallow and an eagle he went through every form of existence on earth in hell and in heaven and when he attained the perfect knowledge he could recall them all buddhism teaches that all man's misfortunes come from his bad actions and all his good fortunes from his righteous deeds heaven means the extinction of desires this is the great end of life to wipe out all passion all feeling and reach nirvana where the believer expects to find a sure shelter against all errors doubts and fears and a resting place where his spirit may securely enjoy the undisturbed possession of truth end of chapter eighteen